The reading today is Mark 15, and it can be found on page 1022. So it's chapter 15, verse 1 to 20. <clears throat> Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole San, forgot, Johnny, Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate asked him again, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify, the, crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the place that is called Praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat at him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Thanks, Annie. All right. Now, who is, um, who's into murder mysteries? Anybody? Okay, yeah, we've got a few hands. Um, I'm not massively, and I, I went once to, a, um, to one of these like murder mystery meals. Have people been to them? They're really weird. <laughs> Everyone, if you don't know, like, you come to this meal and you get given like, this character that you have to like, act and you have to dress up and then you, and you get given these lines that you have to say through the night and everyone's acting this different character and there's like a murder mystery thing going on and um, I think it's a certain type of person, let's, let's put it that way, that, that likes it. Um, I'm not that, that type of person. Um, but, but we are probably, we're all into those kind of whodunit plot lines, aren't we? Whether it's your favourite novel, or EastEnders, or, or Bodyguard, the recent BBC series, I, I watched that recently, there's that kind of that tension through the plot of who's responsible. Well, listen, today is um, a bit of a, a Mark's um, murder mystery plot, if you like. And the question is this, who killed Jesus? And as with any good murder mystery, you've got all the usual suspense, you've got the twists in the, in the plot, and then you've got this, some big surprises, actually, as you go through. And in the end, I hope that we are left amazed and yet full of hope and thankfulness after we've been through this, this little murder mystery plot. The, the main suspects there in, in the reading Annie gave to us, there's, there's actually four main uh, people or groups of people who are, who are potentially responsible for Jesus' 
death according to Mark. And actually, these four groups are all laced together by this little phrase that's repeated three times in the passage. And really, this phrase captures the essence of what's going on. If you, if you have a look down on there, there on page 1022, Mark 15, look at verse 1. And you just, uh, the end of verse 1. And then scan down as well to verse 10 on the right-hand column. And in verse 15... Can anyone see the little phrase that's repeated three times there? Handed him over, absolutely. Handed him over, handed him over, handed him over. Here's another question, not rhetorical. We've seen this in the story before. Can anyone think where Marcus showed us this before? It's just back in chapter 14, verse 11, page before, 1020. Just above that heading, the Last Supper. And it's about Judas handing Jesus over to the, um, to, 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 the, to the Romans and the religious leaders. See, this, this phrase, handed him over, is this hostile act of giving over Jesus to evil forces uh, and these dark forces that come against him like Judas's betrayal. So, so Judas has handed Jesus over to the religious guys. And here in verse 1, the religious guys hand him over to Pilate. Pilate effectively hands Jesus over to the crowd in this scene here. And then finally, he hands Jesus to the soldiers to go to his execution. All of these people, again and again, each of them rejecting Jesus. And we, just, we need to see just how serious this is through this other phrase that's repeated um, in, in, in this reading today. And it's the title that is given to Jesus. It's there in verse 2. Also in verse 9, if you just scan down, and 12, and 18. Go on, someone tell me, what's the, what's the title there that's given to Jesus? King of the Jews, that's right. King of the Jews, God's king. And yet he is rejected over and over again. He is handed over. All of these people rejecting God's king and wanting him dead. So, so firstly, you've got the uh, religious establishment there in verse 1. Uh, and we read that, that these people are motivated in verse 10 by self-interest. They, they love power. They're, they're, they're proud and they're jealous of Jesus because he's causing a stir amongst the religious community. Uh, and he threatens their control over people. And so they've been out for Jesus for years. We've seen that through the story, haven't we? And last week, Johnny showed us that they couldn't find anything against Jesus. Nothing stuck. People were making up things about him, and it still didn't stick. And yet they agreed they wanted him dead. That's how much they hate him. They say he's worthy of death. So, so what happens is there's this kind of sham investigation, this trial that goes right through the, the night. Um, and, and here we are in verse 1, in the early morning, these Sanhedrin, these kind of 70 most powerful people come together to sign off and, and kind of vote to sign off on the verdict. It's like a hasty Brexit vote or something. And they hand over Jesus to Pilate to do their nasty business, to get him dead. These are the most religious people. Some of the most religious people can be the most cruel, can't they? I wonder if you've had that in your experience. So who killed Jesus, the religious establishment? Yeah, guilty. 
But then we go on, we go on to Pilate, who is the, who is the ruler, who is, who is the governor. Pilate, who is full of social influence and political influence. Uh, and we see that Pilate is motivated to get ahead. He's a career politician. And Jesus is not going to get in the way of his career ambitions. So, so look down at verse 5. We, we read, Mark tells us that Pilate is amazed at Jesus. We also see in the story that he knew the motives of Jesus' accusers. He, he knew that their case didn't add up. He knows that Jesus is innocent. We read. And yet Pilate has no backbone whatsoever. He is a people pleaser through and through. So, so what Pilate does, he makes some kind of tame, half-hearted attempt to free Jesus with this customer prisoner release. But he's not really in it. And verse 15 tells us what Pilate wants is to satisfy the crowds. He just wants to please the crowd, make them happy. See, Roman, um, Pilate's job is this. He's the Roman governor of, of, of Judea, of this region. And so he's got to keep the peace. So he's come into Jerusalem. He's moved in for the Passover festival to make sure he's brought all his troops in, heavy Roman presence, make sure there's no Jewish rebellion or uprising coming or whatever else. But because of that, the Jewish leaders know exactly how to play Pilate. They, they twist the case against Jesus from the religious grounds that they've been kind of angry with him for before now. They make it a political thing. He's claiming to be the king of the Jews, Pilate. What, what's Caesar going to think about this, this king in his kingdom? What's Rome going to do about that, Pilate? And so Pilate's, I guess, a little bit scared, and he wants to make himself great, and he wants Caesar to know that he's got control over what he's being given control over. He loves his power, and he loves his influence. So he doesn't do the right thing. No, he cows to the crowds, and he sacrifices an innocent man just so he can get ahead. And he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Is Pilate guilty? You bet. He's guilty as well. Third group of people is this. It's the crowds. And here we see the tyranny of mob rule, the tyranny of popular opinion, and when everyone else is saying something, that it must go. The, the crowds here, they're, they're motivated by their devotion to these influential people that they look up to. So when, they, when, when, when these people say, do something, they do it. They're going to do anything to keep in with them. So it's there in verse 11, these chief priests who the crowd look up to, that they stir up the crowds uh, and they get them to shout at the top of their voices to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. You see, the crowd could set Jesus free. They could call something very different. But they'd rather have a murderer with them than the perfect son of God. The crowd's guilty? Most definitely. It's not looking very good, is it? It's not looking very good for people. Final group, we've got this. We've got the Roman soldiers there from verse 16. These are these men who have been hardened and desensitized by the horrors of war. So they're motivated by not much more than the fact that they've got a free hit at brutalizing someone. There's no, going to be no consequences or comeback for their violence. We, we see it with prisoners of war, don't we? How the military will treat prisoners of war when they think no one's watching. 
don't you remember some of those videos that came from out of Iraq and Afghanistan a few years ago? The way some of the prisoners were treated when they thought no one was there. Well, it were these soldiers. They think they can do what they like with Jesus. So in verse 16, 600 of them gather around to mock him and to punch him and to strike him with weapons and to whip him and to spit at him and to laugh at him and to deride him. They're enjoying his pain. They're roughing him up. That this, this part of, of the crucifixion ritual is, is notoriously brutal. That they had this thing called the scorpion whip. It's this whip that's laced with, with pieces of bone and metal. So as, as, as the criminals whipped on their back, it just, it, it's horrible. It just kind of tears apart the flesh and the skin and lacerates their back to the point where sometimes you could even see their inner organs were exposed. This is the dirty work of crucifixion. This is the ultimate rejection of Jesus. Evil completely unleashed. Are the soldiers guilty? Absolutely. Nobody is coming off great in this murder trial of God's king, huh? Here's the question. What about you? What about you? I wonder what you would have been doing if you were there, if you were in and around Jerusalem that night and that morning. I guess... My guess is that most of us don't recognize ourselves there. We think, well, that happened 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. I wasn't there. Nothing to do with me. Anyway, I'm a different kind of person. I'm not that hostile. I'm I'm a kind, I'm a tolerant person. I I defend innocent people. I'm, I'm a good type of person. I'd have been helping Jesus. Well, listen, what Mark is wanting to show us as he recounts this story is to see that we're just like these people. We're certainly just as guilty for the death of the Son of God. And this, I think, is the big surprise for us in this murder mystery. It's where we get drawn in to the story, and it's uncomfortable, and it's shocking that nobody is innocent. We've all got blood on our hands as well. And the reason I say that is this. Are we not motivated by exactly the same things that we see motivate all of these characters in this plot? Self-interest? Power, influence, making a name for ourselves, wanting an easy life, um, uh, being subject to the strong opinions of others and them influencing us, being violent if we think there's going to be no consequences, no one would find out. Listen, the essence of sin is not simply the naughty stuff that we think, say, and do, but the essence of sin is rooted in our rejection of God's. The God who made us and the God who loves us. And it happens every single day in different areas of our lives. Effectively, we're handing him over and saying, you're dead to me. Jesus, you're dead to me. See if you recognize any of of this in yourself. Maybe like the religious crowd You can crave power and authority for yourself. You want your acceptance before God and before others to be based on how impressive you are and in what you can do. And so what you do is you go and you squeeze Jesus out of your life. You don't say it out loud, of course, but in your heart you squeeze him out. So your service of others is a chance for them to praise you and think you're impressive. 
You use your spiritual understanding to impress others and to wow them and for them to think you're great. You hope that your spiritual discipline will be noticed and others will respect you. Going about all of your kind of spiritual Christian life, but pretty much ignoring Jesus. Or, or maybe like Pilate, we can crave social influence, we can crave status. And, and so, quite frankly, we'll throw Jesus under the bus just so we can get ahead in work. Or so we can be liked in the art scene that we're part of. Or in the academic circles, so we can be respected. Or in our sports club or in the local community. We don't want Jesus to get in the way of our success in that area of life, thank you very much. But Jesus says, doesn't he, Mark? He says, take up your cross and follow me. And that doesn't make it for an easy path to the top in, every, in any area of life, really. You know, if we're determined to hold on to our reputation, our influence, our credibility, come what may, then we will find ourselves, just like Pilate, rejecting Jesus. Listen, if you wouldn't yet identify yourself as a Christian, I think you could be just like Pilate as well. See, it's possible to be amazed at Jesus, to be impressed by Jesus, to be really interested in him, to think, oh yeah, he's such a good teacher. I I like his way of life. I really like church and being around church and the company of his followers. And yet still to reject him as king just to make sure that he doesn't actually negatively impact my life in any way. Just so that he doesn't stop me getting what I really want. Or doesn't damage my reputation. Or something else. I remember this couple who were friends of mine who were amazed by Jesus. They said that they believed all that he said and did. They thought it was all true. But they said they did not want to follow him. And the reason they didn't want to follow him? Because, because the cost for them would be too great. They would lose respect. They'd lose significance. They'd lose power. So they said they believed everything about him. But they weren't ready to follow him. I just think that's a tragic decision for someone to make. What, what about like the crowds? We too will get caught up in rejecting Jesus and his ways if we place other people in such a place of influence in our lives. If they're so important to us and what they say and what they think that we can never go against them or what they tell us to do. I think this is a big one for us in this church. You know that group of friends where you just go along with the flow to fit in. You suddenly find yourself acting in all sorts of ways that totally reject Jesus. Or I think this is kind of how social media seems to work, basically. You've even seen it this week. Just angry mobs are whipped up in no time in social media. And they put lots of pressure on you. You've just got to go along with the flow of what people are saying and thinking. Because everyone else is so certain. And if you want to stick with the times, you've got to jump on the bandwagon of what people are saying and thinking. And if you do, and if we, if we submit ourselves to that, then we will end up rejecting Jesus over and over again. How about this? How, how do you respond when your boss... I remember this clearly when I was, when I was still uh, working in, 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 in another job. When, when your boss asks you about your faith or something to do with your faith, 
How do you feel? Suddenly a little bit kind of fearful and, and a bit cagey. You're trying to tone it down a bit so you don't sound like some religious crackpot or some loon or something. You think, oh, I, want, I, really want my, I want her to like me. I really want her, I could really do that promotion later this year, so I don't want her to think I'm a, I'm a little bit weird. I want to keep her on site. So I'll just tone, tone down the Jesus stuff. What, what about if, if you're someone who's come out of, say, out of a, a culture of gang life or, or, or even drug life? And, and those influential in that culture, those drug dealers or those gang leaders, put the pressure on to get you back in the game. Say, leave Jesus behind. What are you doing? Come back to us. We'll look after you. What happens then? You reject Jesus because some influential people putting some pressure on you? Maybe we can be like the soldiers. It's just possible that some of us here are so desensitized by violence and by aggression, it's just the norm. So whether it's the angry lashing out at our spouse, or our violent temper in the workplace, or our bitter anger and hatred at the God that we say we don't believe in, these are all ways of rejecting Jesus. You see, I'm not sure we're that different after all to these people that Mark tells us about. So here's the thing we need to see. It's not just our little mistakes. It's not our little foibles in our character. It's not because we're tired. It's not stuff that can just be swept under the carpet. No, all of these things, loads of examples just given, and you might be able to think of more, are because of our turning away from God, our rejection of him, our cosmic treason, if you like, our rebellion against God's king. And all of that effectively nailed him to the cross. The thing we need to see is what put him on the cross. When Peter, who we've seen in Mark a lot, he's one of Jesus' closest friends and uh, main followers, he preached the first sermon that wasn't preached by Jesus, basically, after uh, Jesus, just a few weeks after this. And he preached to this crowd of people in Jerusalem. And this crowd was a mixed group of people. A lot of them wouldn't have been here um, at this time when Jesus was, um, was, was going to the cross. And this is what Jesus said about, um, what Peter said about Jesus' death. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, not every one of those people he was speaking to were in Jerusalem voting in the crowd. He says, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Later on, he wrote a letter to Christians and he said this, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. You see, this is what we need to see. This is what Peter's telling us. Our rejection of Jesus, whether it's in our whole life because we're saying, no, Jesus, I won't follow you and I won't believe in you. Or whether we are followers of Jesus, but in different areas of our lives, we're still holding him at arm's length. That rejection is what ultimately causes his death. That's why, that's why we're going to sing in, in a short while. It was my sin that held him there on the cross until it was accomplished. It was my sin that held him there. You see, Jesus is an innocent victim of my evil. This is serious stuff, isn't it? This is God's 
king that we're rejecting. He isn't worthy of death. We've sung it already this morning that he's worthy of respect and honor and glory and praise and power and obedience and worship. And he comes and he gets rejection, hatred, mocking, beatings and and whipped and spat at and mocked and ridiculed and hung up on a cross to die. It was my sins that held him there until it was accomplished. So who killed Jesus? Religious leaders, yes. Pilate, yes. The crowds, yes. Soldiers, yes. Me, yeah. It's pretty serious stuff. This is God's king. This is how I treat him. The ways I have rejected him this week is so significant that he had to die on the cross at my hands. Now listen, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Not trying to guilt trip you. But my experience is this, that my Christian life took on new traction and started to go new places and started growing in a new way when I really got started to get to grips with this, with this reality. When I started to really understand this, actually I suddenly found I had some power in the fight against sin that I hadn't had before. This is going to be really helpful. But also, all hope is not lost. Because there's an even bigger twist in this murder mystery plot. And here is the twist. And this is the most amazing and life-changing surprise. It is this, that is that God's love is so great. You need to listen to this. If you've zoned out, listen to this, please. God's love is so great that he willingly chose the cross to rescue you. His love is so great that he willingly chose the cross to rescue you. So in a sense, who killed Jesus? God did. It's a twist, isn't it? See, another place that we've seen this this hand him over, remember I spoke about that earlier? Phrase before? Can can anyone think of where we've heard that in Mark's story before? You can shout out if you can. Okay, we've heard it actually six other times. It's when Jesus talks about going, predicting his own death. He consistently uses language, I will be handed over. Or or sometimes it's... It's a bit hard to spot because it sometimes has different words, but delivered over is the other thing he says. So remember after Christmas, we saw those three conversations where Jesus was telling his disciples about his death. He was using that kind of language, and he's used it even in this last uh, few chapters. See, Jesus has been beelining to Jerusalem to die, and he said repeatedly that it's coming. And do you know what Peter's sermon there? It tells us that as well. Do you see that, that phrase there? Highlighted there. It is by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Johnny said to us last week, what these people had been planning for a few years to try and kill Jesus, God had been planning since before the world was established. And so actually 700 years before this, Isaiah, who was God's spokesman at the time, said this about Jesus' suffering and death. It was the Lord's will. It was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
This isn't something new. This is something that in the mystery of God's plans and purposes has been planned since before time. So why did Jesus die? Because it was God's plan and God's purpose to offer his son as a sacrifice for you and for me. Now that is shocking. That is a twist in the plot. You see, as, as Mark retells the story here in, in, um, in 15, in chapter 15, it looks like Jesus is just being passive. It looks like God is nowhere to be seen or heard. God's not really doing anything. And yet, it's all unfolding according to his purposes. Jesus here is following through on his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not my will, but yours, your will be done. And so here he gives no answer to the accusations that are brought. He's silent before them. Because he knows that he's walking towards the cross. And he's not stepping outside of that. And also Jesus does this alone. There's one thing that's really interesting here. Do you know who's missing from this part of the story? The first time since the first page of Mark's story that we haven't had them involved. It's Jesus' friends and disciples. Not a single peep from one of them. Last week we saw the best and the last of them fall in Peter's denial. And they're not going to resurface again until Jesus has died. I think Mark's telling us something in that. See, Jesus could save himself at any point, but he doesn't intend to. Because he wouldn't have saved us if he had saved himself. He is here to achieve God's purposes and to rescue us. And that is just outrageous that God would will the death of his son. What kind of depths of love is it that would drive God to such extremes? What depths of love for you that would drive him to do that? Jesus in his death, he fulfills God's loves to us. He delivers on God's love to us. And that means that we see here that we are guilty of the death of the Son of God or hope is not lost. We do not need to be condemned. We can have deep hope. We can have joy. We can have comfort. Even if we struggle with going on rejecting him in our life, we can know freedom in him. Even though we're guilty of his death, we can know forgiveness. And that's why I want to to close with this guy, Barabbas. Do you see that guy Barabbas in this scene? Well, what happens is, it's part of Pilate's, Pilate's strategy to, uh, to keep peace at festival time. What he does with the Jews is he says, listen, each Passover I'll give you a prisoner free. I'll release someone. Aren't I, aren't I a kind and a nice ruler? So you can choose someone to be, to be freed. And what he offers in Mark 15, he offers to the crowd Barabbas, who is this notorious criminal, we read that he's been involved in this uprising. He's a murderer, so he's killed people. And he says, listen, you can have Barabbas, or, or you can have Jesus, whose full and complete innocence is plain and clear. I wonder out of Barabbas and Jesus who you're closer to. Absolute perfection of God? Or the, the kind of the, the, the rebellious murderer of Barabbas? 
Listen, one of these deserves to live and one of them deserves to die. And this is the true mystery of the Christian faith. The one who deserves to die goes free. And the one who deserves to live submits himself to death on the cross. The innocent son of God takes the death penalty so that evil people like you and me can go free. That's right. That's the heart of the Christian faith. That's the heart of what Mark is telling us about Jesus. Now, this isn't fair. It's not fair. Make no mistake about it. But it does show the depths of God's love. It does show the depths of God's care for us. That even the cross would not keep him from securing our freedom. It's such brilliant news. And so we've got a choice to make in response. It's such great news, but it calls us in to make a response to it. What life are we going to live? We're going to reject him. We're going to turn away from him, push him away. Or are we going to receive him? Are we going to receive this king who has loved us and given himself for us? And in humble adoration, submit ourselves to him. Not withhold anything in our lives from him. Because he deserves it all and he owns it all. Give him our souls and our lives and our all. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are so great and so mighty and so powerful, so perfect and pure. Yet you came and humbled yourself to death, even death on a cross. And we read a little bit here of all that entailed. And I realized that it was my sin that caused those things to happen to you. It was my sin for which you were suffering. And I'm sorry, it's my sins of this week, my rejection of you in different areas of my life that caused you to go to the cross. But I thank you and praise you that it wasn't just done by me, but it was done for me according to the plans and purposes of your Father. And so I thank you that I can have hope and life and forgiveness. Lord, please would you help each of us to take hold of that this morning, we pray. Amen.